Talking Dharma podcast, the podcast that attempts to demystify classical spiritual teachings and apply them to modern day living. I'm your host, Kristen Coyle. Today's episode is called Face Yourself, and it is inspired by the Niyama or ethical observance of Svadhyaya. And Svadhyaya translates as self study. And it also translates as spiritual study. And the Yoga Sutras, Sutra 244, says, By study of spiritual books comes communion with one's chosen deity. And at face value, this sutra is basically saying, read the spiritual books, whichever ones you feel called to, such as the Bhagavad Gita or the Yoga Sutras or the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, the Upanishads, the Bible, whatever it is that you choose to read. And if you study it over and over, eventually the knowledge of that, the energy, the archetype behind that energy is revealed to us. And I feel like this sutra at face value had way more relevance maybe a few hundred years ago. And now, in kind of more modern day, we have to translate this sutra a little bit more loosely. And if we look at the word svadhyaya, which is one of the main words in this sutra, it says self-study. And so if we think, well, what is self-study? What does that have to do with communion with one's chosen deity? It's basically this. The more that you observe your patterns, the more that you see yourself at face value, the more you face yourself, the more you know yourself. And in that, you go deeper and deeper into your relationship with the part of yourself that never fades and never dies, which the yogis actually call the self or the supreme self, meaning the embodied spirit. And we can look at the embodied spirit as a little spark of the divine that dwells within each of our hearts and the more we take a look at ourself first on the more superficial level meaning we're willing to see parts of our personality um, in all the different facets of ourself good bad favorable and parts we'd rather hide and we begin to see where they come from we see where do these patterns arise And the more we take the time to slow down and stop looking to others to blame, but rather look towards ourself to see where does this arise from within me, the more those layers of conditioning begin to fall off of us. And the more we do this, the clearer we become. We become in touch with this immutable, which basically means indestructible or unsilenceable aspect of our being known as our soul. So when the sutra says, by study of spiritual books comes communion with one's chosen deity, you can look at it like, okay, if I read the Bhagavad Gita enough, maybe that energy of Krishna, that benevolent, compassionate, sometimes fierce, always loving energy will come to me. And it will not only come to me, but it will start to become an aspect of my personality as well. I remember when I was a young teenage girl, I became involved with being a Hare Krishna. And after a few months of really chanting the kirtan and getting involved with the organization, if you will, if you want to call it that, I started to really feel this softening 
of these hardened layers of my shiny external veneer. I started to feel my heart more expansive, more welcoming to others, even if we didn't have the same walk of life or the same belief systems. And to me, that was the Krishna energy coming through me. And Krishna is, is all compassionate, yet also in the Bhagavad Gita especially, he reminds Arjuna, who is basically the charioteer of the warrior caste who calls upon him, he reminds Arjuna to stay true to his path. And he's very strong about it. He says, there's nothing worse than someone who has received honor to receive dishonor. It's better to die than to be dishonorable. And so Krishna's energy is loving and compassionate, but also very firm and strong and forbearing, full of forbearance, meaning tenacious almost, but not in the way of destruction, but in the way of helping remind one to stay true to the heart, to stay true to not only one's own heart, but also the heart of what is their path. And so when I was a Hare Krishna as an 18 and 19 year old girl, it actually really helped me line myself up with what my path was. And I had been radically, um, different before that. And after those experiences of chanting the kirtan, washing the dishes, doing seva or selfless service, I really became a nice person. And so I can see how this sutra will apply. By study of spiritual books comes communion with one's chosen deity. But for most of us, and most of you listening, I believe, and maybe this is an assumption, we're more interested in studying our own patterns, our own conditions, our own belief systems, and breaking the barriers that they often create, breaking through those limitations that oftentimes, more often than not, hold us back from doing what we truly want to do. And although life is not only about doing what we truly want to do, I feel like it's also about doing what we know we have to do, what's happening for us, for us to move through, for our own spiritual growth, um, but at the same time, it's like if we can take a good look at ourselves and see beyond the illusions of who we think we are, all of these set um, mind states or beliefs about ourselves. if we can take a little look at them and say, well, why do I identify as that? And is it necessary for me to identify as that to be creative, to be a lover, to be in love, to be cradled by the universe? And the answer is no, it's not actually necessary. No matter what, the earth will hold you. No matter how many ways you define yourself, or if you don't define yourself at all, you will still be able to move forward with whatever you have set out to do in your life. In fact, I have found the more that we label ourselves, the more I label myself, myself, excuse me, the more limited I am. So for example... If I say, I never drink alcohol, and then all of a sudden someone who doesn't know me that well but is wanting to welcome me into their friendship offers me a glass of champagne, what do I do with it? Do I turn it down and turn my nose up? Or do I graciously accept it, even if I only have a sip or two? And that's all a matter of our own preference right? And that's what I like to look at life and our tendencies as. These are not only cultural conditions, which they are most of the time, 
not only belief systems, but sometimes the way we define ourselves, ourselves, is based on what we prefer. So, for example, I prefer to sleep in in the morning, and therefore I might label myself lazy. But the truth is, it's not laziness, it's actually me just leaning into my natural inclination. And for many years, I resisted this. I would force myself to wake up super early. I even got to the point where I would not even be able to sleep past 7 a.m. But now that I've had a massive reset in my life, we moved to California from Hawaii, as most of you know. I've had some time and space to lean into my natural inclinations. And the truth is, I don't naturally wake up on my own until about 8.30 in the morning. And yes, for me, that is sleeping in. So if you're rolling your eyes, laughing, thinking that's sleeping in, I hear you. But for me, for someone who's woken up at 5.30 or 6 in the morning for years on end, if not earlier, 8.30 is luxurious. And for so many years, I was in denial of this aspect of myself. And all of that denial created a lot of push, meaning I felt like I always had to push through feeling tired. I always had to force myself to get out of bed, even if I didn't necessarily need to that day. And all of this negative self-talk would come in if I allowed myself to sleep in. Actually, I just caught myself doing it right before I recorded this podcast. I woke up this morning and did some cleansing practices. And cleansing makes me feel tired. And so what did I naturally do after they were complete? I laid back down. And as I was laying there, allowing myself to rest, my mind was not allowing it. It was feeding me full of stories about how I'm never going to succeed in life if I keep sleeping till 8.30. You see, and through my own attempt at self-study, I caught myself doing it. So instead of forcing myself to get up, which would be what I would naturally want to do, I forced myself to stay in bed a little longer because that's truly what I felt to do. And how does this relate to self-study? Maybe it's obvious, maybe it's not. It's like, take a look at yourself. What are your natural tendencies? And if they're not healthy, if they're destructive, I can see why we might need to shift those. And we'll dive into that in a few minutes. But if they don't harm you, they don't harm anyone around you, then what's the problem, actually? Sometimes we are being lazy, and it's important to identify what's laziness, what's spiritual apathy, or actual apathy towards anything, versus what are our natural inclinations that just allow us to feel happy about being in a body. And for me, sleep is one of those things. The more sleep I get, the better I feel. So come to think of it, sleeping in is not a bad thing at all. Especially consider I work into the evening many nights. So self-study is not only about learn yourself so you can be a better person. It's like learn yourself so you can be a happier embodied soul. If you begin to understand and lean into what you feel called to do naturally and you allow it to happen, a sense of ease will come over your being. And again, not laziness, but ease, as in you're allowing yourself to blossom the way you want. Think about it. So many times we try to change our natural tendencies to fit a mold that someone told us about once or twice or maybe many times in our life. And the more you try to mold yourself into something else, 
the more unnatural it feels. It's kind of like telling the rose that it actually needs to blossom like the dandelion. And no matter how much the rose might try to do that, that's not going to happen. A rose is a rose and a dandelion is a dandelion. So what do I mean there? Saying, maybe I'm the dandelion and I like to sleep in. And maybe someone else is a rose, metaphorically, and they like to wake up at four in the morning and get going. Then let those two things be the way they are. Neither is right and neither is wrong. They're both just different preferences. And for me, in my spiritual path with where I'm at, and I have a long way to go, I feel, as many of us probably feel the same, self-study is about learning every aspect within ourself. And again, remember, the word svadhyaya, or self-study, is also translated as spiritual study. Or, in the sutras, literally it says svadhyaya equates to study of spiritual books. So if you're not studying actual spiritual books, which I recommend as well to help reveal the essence of all of these ancient teachings so we can integrate them and use them as tools for our own growth, for our own awakening or clarity, you also want to study the spiritual book of yourself. What did you come in with? Because most, most of us in these modern times, we don't want to lean into a deity with the rare exception of some, some people are very involved in, oh, I want to become just like Lakshmi and be abundant. Or I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk that path. Or I want to be like the dark mother. Or fill in the blank. There's so many. I just draw upon my very limited experience in this life of what I've been exposed to. Um, most of us, that doesn't resonate. At least for me, that has never really resonated for long. And so my chosen deity is my own spirit, myself, my supreme self. And so when we talk about study of spiritual books or svadhyaya, it's like study the book of your own life. Study all of the experiences you've had. Take a look at them. Let Go back in time and walk yourself through the ones that stand out and see where did you need to make some changes. And sometimes those changes aren't about doing better. Sometimes those changes are about allowing what is natural, what you feel inclined to do, manifest from inside out. And especially in the yoga community, and I have been guilty as charged of doing this um, to my students, there's a lot of pressure to be specific ways. For example, there's pressure to practice yoga every single day. I remember meeting someone, several people actually in my life who have said, you know, I like yoga, but I always feel so guilty when I consistently do yoga because if I don't do it every day, I give myself this huge guilt trip. And we can take a look at that and see, well, where did that conditioning of guilt come from? So rather than saying, well, the solution to this guilt you're feeling is to practice yoga every single day and then that guilt won't be there we can clearly see that's actually not a solution because some people only practice once or twice a week or once or twice a month and they feel amazing about themselves. So we can see that the people who have told me that and myself included, when we feel guilty, when we don't practice every day, it's actually that the guilt just projected itself onto that circumstance. 
And so the self-study element comes in when we say, you know what, I need to look at where does this guilt actually come from? Why do I feel guilty about my very existence and acting in ways that feel natural? And this guilt can be so self-destructive because it's like, what if you're injured and you're actually better off not practicing asanas or postures for a few days to let everything cool down or a few months even? Then we can see that that guilt would actually be self-destructive if we pushed ourselves beyond that point of intuitive saying, hey, intuition saying, hey, you need to slow down. You need to chill out for a little while. Maybe you just should relax. Maybe allow yourself to take a walk instead or dance or just breathe deep and see that that yoga energy can come in with anything you do if you align yourself with mindfulness with presence and mindfulness and presence, of course, go hand in hand. They are totally connected. So when we talk about being a modern yoga practitioner or just someone interested in spirituality, we want to see that a lot of the ways we feel and not all, but a lot of the ways we feel whenever we don't live up to our own expectations our belief systems and societal imprints that came in before we failed to live up to those specific expectations, right? So someone feeling guilty about not practicing every day, maybe when they grew up, they were shamed if they didn't feel well and couldn't go to school. So then that manifests now that if they don't feel well and they don't do yoga, they feel that same shame. So what really would be ideal is if they took a look at healing that inner child element that feels ashamed for existing. So when I call this podcast Face Yourself, it's like face not only yourself as you are right now, but face your past and see what you can learn from it. See what awakening and clarity can come from taking a look at all of the things that have unfolded in your life. And all the ways you've acted that you can remember, of course. This might sound exhausting. It is, maybe. (laughs) No one said this was easy. But look, that's a belief system too. Even this idea that it has to be hard, that it has to be a lot of work, that's a belief system. I've actually been trying that out on myself here. Before we moved here, I had a lot of people tell me how hard it was going to be to come to California and how I was going to have to work a ton to make it here. And the truth is I have worked less here than I did in Hawaii and I make more money. And I'm just so happy that I chose to see that people telling me it was hard was their own projection onto me. And although there have been times where it's been hard, most of that challenge has been with letting go of clinging to the past, meaning letting go of identifying with who I was in the islands, letting go with identifying of all these little parts of myself, such as I am incredibly successful, for example, or everyone loves me, or... I wake up early to get things done. I've gotten an opportunity with this reset in my life to challenge those belief systems and say, well, who am I if everyone doesn't love me? Do I still love myself? And that is deep work. 
how successful am I if it's not met with external recognition or approval? And both of these things, this feeling of success, this feeling of being loved, those are based on fleeting external circumstances. And they will certainly change. And so part of our own awakening is basing our self-worth, our feeling of joy on what is naturally within ourselves rather than fleeting, shaky foundation, external circumstances that are bound to change. And how do we know if we've been basing our happiness on these external circumstances? It's relatively simple. When those things fall away, look at how you feel. And I'm not saying don't grieve it. I know for me, I've had a fair amount of grief this year. I think I've cried more this year than I have in years. And I've heard a lot of people echo the same. Anytime we have a little change, even a small one, in our external reality, it can bring on a hailstorm, because I'm not allowed to use profanity here, it can bring on a hailstorm of emotions. And instead of thinking, oh, this external circumstance made me feel all of these ways, we can instead say this external circumstance brought out those latent emotions within me. Now, I want to add a disclaimer here. When we are talking about marginalization, extreme poverty, trauma, war zones, abuse, sexual assault, all those things, I do not believe that those external circumstances brought out those latent emotions within someone. Okay, that's a different story. In those scenarios, yes, we can see that trauma is going to create a strong emotional response. And those emotional responses are based on very trying, traumatic external experiences. Okay, so I just want to add that. So I'm really clear as I can be here. I'm talking about external circumstances that don't create trauma, but somehow we get that same response within ourselves. Like for example, whenever I left Hawaii and I said goodbye to all of the yoga practitioners who had entrusted me and practiced with me over the seven and a half years that I was there, I felt a huge emptiness within me. I felt like everything I had worked towards overnight evaporated and that it was gone forever. And there was this massive grief that welled up within me and out of my eyes in the form of tears. And there was a shutting down of my heart so that when I came here for a good few months, I was really not open to many people. There were a few people I was open to because they felt like home. Like my new yoga teacher and close friends I've known for a long time. For me, they were okay. But everyone else I encountered, I thought to myself, nope, they're not like my people. They're not my people. And I shut myself down towards them. And that shutting down actually set me back a lot. And it put me into a state of deep depression. And although it would be easy to say, well, of course you're depressed. Your whole reality's changed. And this is a fact. But 
I remember a time when my reality would change and I would willingly change it by traveling all over the world, by constantly moving around. And I felt a deep joy, a deep happiness. And so it wasn't really the fact that my external reality changed so much as it was a fact that I was carrying this grief with me for some time. And finally, something occurred that forced it out of me. It it was catharsis for me. It brought it right to the surface. And for a while, I fell into the disillusion of it all and really had no desire to go on. I felt just, where am I going and what's the point? And I decided to slow myself way down and start allowing myself to rest more, start allowing myself to feel more and just be without doing a little bit more. And from that slowing down, I kind of caught myself up to speed, if you will, and began to notice that all of that sadness was actually not from just leaving Hawaii. That sadness was something that I had been carrying and bottling up, and it was accruing over time. Until eventually, it's like the, what do they say? The straw that broke the camel's back. Eventually, that last little straw fell on my back, and I broke, and I shattered in a way. And literally, my physical body ached. My exhaustion level was at a peak. And instead of trying to change that, I just let it be that way. And in that, I began to see, well, this grief actually comes from feeling the loss of my parents getting divorced when I was two years old. I went that deep. I went that deep into the rabbit hole. It's like... So many challenges in the external and working with those things, but also saying, well, why am I feeling challenged really? Because in the past, I could tackle these changes with an attitude of total stoke, like excitement. And now why now is it a burden? The burden came from carrying around all of these very disempowering emotions. And so once I allowed myself to just empty as completely as I could. I felt a shift. Suddenly, I felt motivated again. Suddenly, I started opening up to others, like my peers, my other yoga teachers in the area. And suddenly, I started being able to teach really great classes again because I was already working through this all. But I noticed as soon as I let myself empty completely, I gave myself the space to do it. And sometimes that might mean you still have to function fully in the external world. And maybe you have to go about your life because, you know, finances, namely, right? That's the main thing that forces us to move on a lot of the times, interestingly, which that's a whole nother podcast. We're not going there, or at least I don't feel it's appropriate here. It might be that you're you're feeling the weight on you and you have to function in the world and that's fine, but let yourself feel it and not only feel it, don't let your emotions rule you, but see beyond it. Tune into that awareness that you have, that we all are capable of having that permeates our emotions, but goes way deeper than that. And that's what a lot of the yogis have identified as the self. It's like that supreme self is the witness, the improver and the enjoyer. That's what the Bhagavad Gita says. The supreme self is the embodiment of the divine within us. And it's that part of our awareness that can see beyond 
all of the noise of emotions, thoughts, others' opinions, and in root in the baseline of I am here. And I think that's the biggest affirmation for me right now is quite simply, I am here. Meaning I am present. Present with the process, present with my awareness, and I'm watching it without getting hooked. And that's been the biggest game changer for me is saying, don't get hooked. Instead, see it for what it is. And if it needs to come out in some way, shape, or form, let it. But see it for what it is. See beyond it. Realize it's fleeting and impermanent. So no need to hold it any longer. Rather, be willing to let it come up, let it rise. And when it's done rising, don't try to force it to come up anymore. Let it go. It's kind of like when we go back into our past and we remember something painful that's happened to us or for us, depending on how you believe. It's like, it's good to look at it. It's good to study it and see what, what could have been done differently on my end and where did I have no control. And not to find forgiveness because forgiveness is still rooted in self-righteousness, but rather to find acceptance to find acceptance of the experience. And from that, we can learn from it. Whereas forgiveness, we're in a state of blame. When we say, I forgive you, it's saying, I'm still blaming you for how I feel. I'm still blaming you for everything and every aspect of what happened. And the yogis are saying, no, dig deeper. What is beyond that? Where do you need to study it yourself more and see what can I accept? And if I cannot accepting, what am I going to do about it? If I cannot accept something, what will I do about it? There's a few choices. One is work towards acceptance, meaning be okay with it being not okay. And I think that's sometimes how we have to leave things. It's like, you know, not everything is going to feel like we get closure. Not everything is going to feel like it's in a completion cycle. And and that's the teaching of unattachment is saying, you know, you're not always going to get everything you want. Your ego and your belief systems about how life should go, they're not always going to get their way. And you can either see that as you have bad luck or bad karma, or you can see that that's just the way things landed. And rather than letting that landing nail you to the ground and never let you move forward again, you just pick yourself up. What do I mean by pick yourself up metaphorically? I mean, see beyond it, witness it, observe it for what it is and and use it as fuel for your motivation to keep going forward. Regardless of your past story, regardless of my past story, regardless, we all have this deep power within that we can tune into to, to glean the teachings from it and then let the rest go. And sometimes letting it go means having two years of struggling with it or 10 years or 20 years. Sometimes you can let it go in an instant if you just distance yourself from the story, meaning you don't have to constantly feel guilty if you've done something that you deem as, quote, wrong. Instead, you can learn from it and see where to be more aware next time. And that really goes into that idea of working from a response-able state rather than a reenacting state of the past. Now, you might say, well, I have trauma, and so these memories come up without me being able to control them. And in that case, 
it's like, all right, so create some distance. Whenever those memories arise, can you honor them for coming up and learn? What is the teaching here for me? How do I take this terrible pain that I've been in from an experience I've had with myself or others or many, and how do I transmute that energy into spiritual food? And I remember, and I've said this in other podcasts, I read this when I was just starting out being a a yoga practitioner. It was like maybe 19 years old. And it said, the greatest spiritual energy is when you can transmute your experiences that traumatize you into awakening. And this is a really hard thing to accept if you're really deep in the blame cycle in trying to forgive. This is impossible to accept. But if you just say, well, I can accept that I can't forgive. I can accept that what happened was wrong. Then suddenly you have some ground to stand on because at the very least you are accepting. You're willing to open your perspective a little bit and say, well, it happened and I can't change it. And I know that's a fact. So now what am I going to do with it? Am I going to let it stop me for the rest of my life and hold me back? Because if that's the case, that's exactly what the perpetrators, whatever they did, whatever we think they quote, they did. That's exactly what they would be successful in doing, right? Is holding us back. Or can we say, yeah, you know, this happened, but no one can stop me. And I was just watching a clip this morning of Jim Carrey in one of his movies. Maybe it was Pet Detective. And he's literally there on a boulder on this mountain screaming to the wind, no one can stop me. No one. And it's like, that's right. That's right, Bretta. No one can stop us unless we allow it. And that's the biggest thing. It's like no matter your story, no matter whatever has happened, and some of us have, you know, maybe we'll call it luck or karma or just card, our deck of cards we've been dealt in life. Some have it easier than others, guaranteed. We can look around and see this every day. I know I see it every day in the Bay. I'll be at a stoplight. There's tons of Porsches and Teslas and Mercedes around. And right next to the intersection, there are panhandlers in tent cities with signs up that say, where do we go? With three question marks or four. The duality is going to be there. It's always at play. It's really actually an aspect of existence. And so it's like, even in all of that, how can we go on? How can we keep doing what we're doing and not feel guilty? It's it's like this. You just keep going. And if you have something arise that, that doesn't serve you or that holds you back, Become aware enough to identify it. And this is self-study. It's literally becoming aware enough to identify things that would limit us from awakening. And awakening does not always mean material success, right? Happiness does not always mean that everything is going your way. In fact, the more we base our happiness on things going our way and being successful in the way we want, the more disappointment we are setting ourselves up for in the long run. If we can base our happiness and our joy on something that is not fleeting, something that is 
a little more solid, such as the ability to simply be alive with our breath, the ability to watch the duality of existence go by us and do something about it if we can, when we need, when we feel called. Then suddenly our joy can spring up from our heart because we're opening the table for what is inside to come out. But if we only base our behavior on external circumstances, then we're going to be all across the map. I actually had a good experience with this um, recently. It was New Year's Eve, and I was in the grocery store buying some food. And I was wheeling a bigger cart than I'm used to wheeling. Normally, I grab the small one, but I had a big one. That was all that was left. And I was in this packed supermarket in Berkeley. And I accidentally hit a woman's heel with my cart wheel. And I was immediately apologetic because for me, that's a big trigger. If someone hits my foot with their wheel or steps on my foot with their shoe, I get really triggered. I know that about myself. And so I immediately start apologizing. And she just waved her hand at me and said, Happy New Year and kept walking. And I kind of had this moment where I just stopped and watched her walk away like, like she was an angel. Because I thought to myself, wow, here's someone who's worked beyond those triggers, or maybe those were never even triggers for her. But here's someone who I accidentally ran over her heel, but I hit it hard because I was not paying attention to her. I was paying attention to me. And even though I did that, she still had loving energy towards me. And that was a big moment. It's like, that's right. Where am I getting triggered still? Where do I need to look a little deeper and, and carry the same love? Even if I feel triggered, where can I be this embodiment of compassion? And, and that's what guides my own personal journey a lot, is how can I be nice first? Dharma Mitra says that it's one thing to put your leg behind your head, but you're not a yogi unless you're a nice person. I'm paraphrasing him, by the way. He changes it. Sometimes he'll say it's one thing to stand on your head, or it's one thing to you know, be advanced at yoga. Either way, it's like no matter what you have externally, if you're not a kind person, if you're not rooted in compassion, you really have nothing. Because once those external accoutrements fade away or your list of accomplishments are no longer relevant 10 years down the road, who are you and what actually are you made of? And so no matter what's going on in your life, the time is right now to start taking a good look at yourself and say, what's holding me back? Do I have feelings like guilt or shame or anger or grief that need to be acknowledged? Not suppressed because they get stronger that way. I'll see that all the time. It's like if I feel for me, the big one is often shame. I've been working with that for this lifetime and probably many others. So if I feel shame arise, the question is, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to keep shoving it back and act like I don't feel that way and just keep trying to go on? Or am I going to say, all right, shame, you, out, sit with me right now, come. Tell me why you're here. And you know what? If you allow these strong or maybe self-defeating emotions come up and you have them for energetic tea, so to speak, they will teach you so much. 
All you've got to do is be willing to listen. And it's not always easy to listen to shame. It's not always easy to listen to our own guilt. But it's definitely worth the process. Because we begin to see where these things originate from. And once you get to the root of something, it's kind of like weeding the garden. Once you pull the roots, that plant isn't going to come back. But if a seed or two falls in the dirt and it sprouts again, you dig to the root again. So that's like me with taking up space. I'll often feel ashamed about being the center of attention or taking up space. And this has been a huge setback for me. But over the years, I keep identifying it and I keep pushing myself past my comfort zone. And now, actually starting next week, I have secured a prime spot at one of the bigger, more world-renowned yoga studios in the heart of San Francisco. And the potential for me here is huge. And if I were to listen to the stories about shame or who are you to do this or all these imposter syndrome stories that come up, I would have said no to that opportunity. But my higher self was guiding me and I said yes. And, and I think that this is the duality, not only that we see out in the world, but we also have it within ourselves. We've got this one part of ourself, often the ego or our pride saying, well, don't put yourself out there too much because what if you're rejected? Or what if you're disappointed? Or what if things don't go your way? It's like, no, there's this other part of ourself, this kind of inner knowing, this internal witness or this divine seed within that says, say yes. Whenever you feel compelled in the direction that your dharma, your path is guiding you, the, the direction that you just have always dreamed of, whenever those opportunities arise, it's like, do you have the courage? And even if it's not confidence, do you have the heart to say yes because when you say yes to what you have always wanted and it comes your way when you say yes to that you're saying yes to your highest self to come out and what better thing to say yes to everyone wins in that scenario you get to in my scenario help more people for example and will i benefit probably but let's not make that our main motivation. Think, how can I serve? How can I serve my own awakening? And how can, in turn, can that help serve others with their awakening as well? With no matter what it is you're doing. I know for my partner, he does a job at a tech company where there's a lot of heavy machinery being moved around and a lot of electrical wiring and all kinds of stuff. And by any definition, it can be dangerous. But because he's had a past experience where he fell, as if you've listened to the podcast a long time, you know, he fell off a loft and broke a few bones. Um, since that experience, he's become more cautious. And with that cautious and with that maturity that came from that experience, which seemed negative at the time, incredibly negative, it actually turned into a positive. It's made him his team leader in a way. It's made him responsible and keeping everyone safe. And so we can see how this is a direct example of something that was traumatizing and deeply challenging was actually transmuted into awareness and motivation to do better next time, if you will. And, and this is really all we can hope for, right? Or not even hope for, we can trust in this. Because, you know, hope 
it says we doubt. Hope means I doubt and I think it won't happen. But if we say I trust this, it's saying, you know what? I know it's going to happen. And if not, something better will come from it eventually, even if I can't see why right away. So we got to trust the process. But part of being able to do that is to clean ourselves out, literally, of all of these structured, conditioned belief systems that stop us from going towards what we are compelled to do. And so part of self-study is leaning into what is natural for you and allowing that to manifest as long as it's not self-destructive. Part of self-study is taking a look at what is self-destructive within you and observing it. Watch when it comes out. See how it interacts with you, with the outside world, with others. And, and keep noticing and, and do your best to shift it. Meaning if something is harming you or your relationships, it's time to change that. And this is where we can accept it in the way that we know we have to make a change. Because when we say the word acceptance, oftentimes what comes to my mind at least is accept it, meaning leave it alone and let it be. And although this this serves true for about 50% of our experiences, give or take, right? What about the other half that we would be hurting ourselves or others if we accepted it? In that case, we have to change it. It's... It's just a given in life. It's kind of like if we accept our current political climate, how much destruction to the environment is going to happen. So instead, we all know we cannot accept that. We accept that it exists right now, and therefore we have foundation to begin to make the appropriate changes. And, and this is kind of like a big mirror for our whole lives. If you can't accept it, just accept that it exists and then work diligently on making the shifts required. So for example, going back to me feeling ashamed about being the center of attention. The way I have dealt with this in my life is I stand up in front of others and do public speaking. And I also help people become happier in their bodies and more vibrant in the forms of group yoga classes and also working with people one-on-one because I'm a massage therapist. And so for my entire adult life, I have literally told people to be vulnerable, be open, and receive what is there. And that's really just a mirror for me. It's like I show others what I actually need to hear myself. And as much as we might be like, well, you can't teach then if that's the case. How can you teach others what you haven't mastered yourself? It's like, in fact, those of us who have struggled with those things are often the best teachers of how to overcome those things. It's like my yoga teacher. She said so many times, I've struggled so hard with handstand in my life. So now I've become a really good teacher of handstand. And it's true. She's an amazing handstander now. And you can also see it's challenging. But she's amazing. And when I practice with her consistently, my handstand improves as well. So imagine if someone told her, you should not teach handstand because you're not naturally good at it. Then so many of us would not benefit from her amazing teachings. In fact, those of us who are naturally good at things, we're not great teachers of them. Because it's always been natural. How do you know how to take someone who is totally at a loss for how to do something and show them the way, if it's always been natural to you. Whereas if you're someone that's been through all the pitfalls of it, all the fear, 
all the challenge. You're going to be a much better guide because you've walked that path. You're like, oh, watch for the thorn bush there, meaning watch for how you're going to feel fear right here and it might snag you and stop you, but no, go around it, aka like breathe through it with the handstand analogy. Okay, what's next? Oh, you could fall off that cliff. Oh, you could fall out of that handstand. Okay, well, here's how you avoid falling. And also, if you are going to fall, here's how you do it right? Whereas if someone's always balanced perfectly in handstand, how can they guide that? Unless they've worked with countless others who have struggled. And so our own struggles, our own deepest challenges are actually our strongest teaching points more often than not. And if not for self-study, how will we know what these challenges and what these struggles are? And so in this new year, if you believe in the process of time, which most of us do, in this new year, can you even be willing to take a look at that and say, wow, whatever's working me out the most, whatever's making me feel like I'm being hung out to dry by the universe is actually going to become my deepest strength or it has the potential to become your deepest strength. Whatever is the most challenging for me can become my my biggest motivation If you lean into the idea that that is a possibility, you will see it becomes a reality. Whereas if you always cower in fear, go around your triggers, try not to stimulate your triggers, try to avoid things that make you uncomfortable like the plague, then those triggers get bigger and they get set off easier with smaller stimulus. Right? It's like when I hit the lady's heel with the cart in the grocery store. If she was full of anger, hitting her cart would have made her explode on me. But she wasn't. She was full of compassion. And so hitting her with the cart just made her smile and say Happy New Year. It was like nothing even hurt, although it had to have. And and this is what happens when we're willing to look at what triggers us and keep calling it out as we see it. Call it out. I actually had another experience with this yesterday. Um, And recently I had someone bust open a stationary window on my Volkswagen. They were trying to steal from me, of course. I was teaching a yoga class and it was a great class. I was in a really good space and I walked out to my car and I saw the window had been busted and anger did not come up right away. In fact, it was, it was more just like, oh, shoot, someone broke my window. I had maintained that calm demeanor from just conducting class and carried it onto the street with me. But then all of a sudden, like an old friend coming up who's been triggered about being stolen from in the past, I've had a few different encounters in my past of having things stolen, suddenly the rage came out. And I was driving down the road back to my house just screaming explicatives, which I can't say on this podcast. Um, and, and then all of a sudden that anger welled up into grief and I cried and I wasn't crying for myself or that I was going to have to fix the window and, oh man, it's going to be expensive and this sucks. I was actually crying for the person who broke my window because what level of desperation and poverty or addiction, which is spiritual pain manifested as trying to hide from it. What level did that person have to reach to resort to breaking my window? And not only breaking my window, but breaking the right window in the right place to open my trunk and look in it. And ironically, the only thing I had in my trunk was a bag of pants to give to homeless people. And they didn't even take it. 
And so there was a lot of resentment towards that, of course, not about taking the pants, but about breaking the window. But deeper down, once I got to the soft spot, meaning I got to the vulnerability behind my own triggers, I realized there was actually a deep sadness for the suffering that so many people face every single day. It's like, what if that person was breaking my window just to see if they could find something to sell to buy their kid a Christmas gift? My gosh, I feel like if I would have walked up to my car as the person was breaking the window, I would have just asked them what they needed. Although many people would say, that's not smart, definitely don't do that. But that's, that's how much my heart has compassion for suffering. And so beyond my trigger of someone tried to steal from me, they violated my privacy, they broke into my car, I have no mercy. You know, how much of that attitude serves us? That's created so many barriers and borders and unhealthy boundaries in this world, right? It's like, can we keep being the one to look deeper than our own transient emotions? And this is also self-study. Is Are you willing to look deeper than how you feel to see what's behind it? I'm not saying override or spiritually bypass your feeling. I'm saying acknowledge those feelings exist, kind of like me screaming all kinds of F-bombs in the car for a few minutes and banging on my steering wheel, feeling frustrated with it. By the way, that's the second window in six months, okay? Just to give perspective. Six months, two windows broken. I've never had a window broken in my life. Okay, so that's, that's a high ratio. So it's like, why is this happening? Why is it happening? Because people are hungry and people are suffering. So rather than victimizing myself and be, why me? Why me? It's like, no, no. Why is this happening overall? So we tape up the window and I go to get it repaired a few days later. And I'm at the place waiting and it's taking a long time, longer than they said. I'm there like wondering, why is it taking so long? And finally, I hear them say, we got to call urgent care. It's a deep cut. I'm like, oh my goodness. Sure enough, the person who was trying to remove the remainder of my window from the frame slipped, his saw slipped and he almost cut his finger off and he had to be rushed to urgent care. And at first I was feeling really triggered, like, oh my gosh, what if they tell me they can't fix it? What if they kick me out? What if they humiliate me? I had all of these feelings. It's like, A, where does that come from when it wasn't me who did that? I wasn't even in the room with him. That comes from my own feeling of shame, shame for taking up space. So I felt my heart rate speed up and my body temperature rise like an adrenaline rush. And I just paused myself. And I went up to the desk and I said, excuse me, I can't help but over here. Did someone cut themselves on my window? And the women all looked nervous and they looked at me and said, yes, yes, it was not, it's not your fault at all though. He, he was trying to do the, it's in a very involved job. He slipped with his saw because he was rushing. And I said, well, please tell that man that I'm so sorry that happened on my car and that I hope he feels better. And you could see all of them just immediately soften their anxiety around it. And, you know, it's like how many people actually have the courage to do that? I'm not sure to tell you the truth. But it felt right for me. And as soon as I leaned into that soft spot, my adrenaline rush stopped. I felt at peace with the whole thing. I felt compassion and a little bit of sadness that it happened on my car. But I also just let it go. And... When I went to leave finally, you know, a good couple hours later, I got in my car and they had cleaned my entire car, which was not part of the deal at all. 
And this is what I mean, a little bit of compassion, a little bit of empathy, even when we feel triggered, it goes a really long way. But this can only come if we are willing to study ourselves and see beyond our knee-jerk reactions and go 10 steps deeper than that. And the deeper we're willing to go, the deeper others are going to go with us. And when I talk about deep, I'm talking about deep into the heart, deep into this level of empathy, that once you have found that within yourself, it never goes away. It stays with you. And that same empathy, that same compassion, all of a sudden you can have it for yourself. So if you do something that's less than your expectations or less than what your ambition told you to do, you can accept it rather than give yourself an endless amount of, you know, negative talk or self-criticism about how you didn't live up to your expectations. You can accept things as they are and have the courage to accept things you cannot change and have the freaking courage to know when to change things you can't accept. And that prayer is about as old and ancient as it gets. And why has it stood the test of time? It stood the test of time because it's relevant and applicable as long as you are a human. So when I say face yourself, I literally mean it. Sit with your discomfort. Sit with the feelings that you have and face them head on. And, and kind of like you're having a staring contest with them, be willing to look at them until they flinch. And what is behind that flinch? What is the soft spot underneath that? Lean into that because that is the supreme self shining through the cracks. That is your chosen deity. That is our chosen deity for so many of us. It's not a god in the sky or a religious figure hanging on the wall, although it could be. Even a deity in external form is only pointing at what you are capable of within yourself. So see it as that. For example, the miracles that Jesus Christ worked with healing with his hands, we actually all have that capability. It starts with believing we're capable and being willing to break and shatter every single belief system that's ever held us back. So we can keep stepping into our higher self. And through that, we light, we light others up as well. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to let that divine spark shine through us. Commune with it. Hear the deeper teachings. Hear the spiritual callings. And follow them. And there's never a set route. There's never one route we can all take. Although some guidelines have been laid out. Some of those guidelines, just briefly, are move your body so you can process what you're feeling in the physical level. Move your body so you can move the energy so you feel vibrant and healthy. Because when you feel vibrant and healthy, you're going to be more capable of taking a look at what is painful. And on the other hand, Whenever you don't feel healthy, whenever you're deeply challenged, it's also an opportunity to take a look at what is going on. I know I've been in the process of doing a cleanse and sometimes it's very uncomfortable. You know, doing a liver cleanse especially, it brings out all kinds of stagnant emotions for me and also feeling nauseated or feeling not great. Instead of running from that feeling and trying to push it away or letting a heavy fear response come through, I've just been allowing myself to sit with it and to do what feels right 
to help clear it, but also not run from it in terror. And through that facing it, I see where I still have fear left to let go of. I see where I still have stagnation that I need to see through or move beyond. So whether you're in health or not feeling so great, attempt to move the body in whatever way you can. It will help, uh, it will help you, it will help me look at what we have to let go of on the emotional realm because they're all connected, right? Another guideline is breathe deeply, especially when you are going through a feeling of being triggered. Instead of letting the mind run away with all the millions of stories, just lean into the breath awareness and call yourself into the present moment. Literally invite yourself back home into yourself and, and just take 10 steps back and face it. See what's there. And as you're able to, move beyond it in whatever way it manifests. Again, how do we move beyond it? There's so many ways. But the main way is to accept it. If you can just accept it, like for me wanting to sleep in a little bit later because it feels natural. The more I accept it and allow it, the better I feel about myself. And then I still have enough time in the day to get everything done, right? Whereas if I force myself beyond what's natural for me too much, I feel more exhausted. And then I actually have less time because I have to rest more during the middle of the day. This is a small example. It could be anything. Do you feel nervous when you get in the ocean, for example, and there's no actual threat readily there? Get in the ocean and float and breathe into that feeling of fear until it falls away. Or do you feel scared when you're getting ready to go navigate the big city on the public transportation? Go prepared, but face it anyway and see where that fear keeps coming up or claustrophobia or whatever it is and just take a look at it and watch it play itself out because just like any other emotion, all of our triggers, if we don't act on them, get weaker and they play themselves out. Whereas if you have a trigger and you keep acting on it, you actually strengthen it and it becomes more of a short fuse. So become more resilient by watching your triggers. Not everyone needs to know every single emotion you're feeling, by the way. Sometimes it's for you to keep sacred and feel within yourself. Sometimes it needs to be expressed. And how do we have the discernment to know what is what? You've got to slow down and take a look at what it is and decide from a place of vivika or discernment, what are you going to do about it? Straight up. You decide how you respond. If you empower yourself with this knowledge, you're going to be better off, as am I. But if we keep letting our triggers rule us, because so many of us have been taught, well, this is how I feel, therefore it's how I feel, and that's it. That's so limited. That's the lower mind and the ego asserting itself. The higher mind, we call it the Vijnanamaya Kosha. It's your higher mind, your higher self. It can see beyond it. It permeates those emotions, but again, it stretches way into the horizon beyond that little hillside of anger or grief or sadness or frustration or less than or guilt. It goes into the realm of awareness and awakening and witnessing what is happening. And the self is neutral. The self just observes. So whenever we say be neutral, we don't mean stifle all your emotions and hide from them. 
we mean take a look at them from a neutral standpoint and decide what you're going to do about them. If you need to cry, cry. If you need to speak a boundary, speak it. But if it's you projecting onto others and and repeating a same old story that comes from somewhere way in the past, be aware enough that you can stop yourself in your tracks, take a good look at it, lean into the teachings, and then transmute that into motivation, into spiritual food to keep going. If you observe and listen to yourself from the depths of your being, you will be able to see beyond the illusion of labels, identifications, and the ways you think you've always been and that you need to always be to uphold consistency. You can simply study all those things and just like you would study a book, gain knowledge from those tendencies. And with that knowledge, you have the power to choose something different. With that knowledge, you have the strength and the courage to face your fears, to face what challenges you the most and overcome it. And not overcome it by dragging yourself over it, although that might be the case sometimes. But most of the time, you can overcome it by flying way above it. Simply shift your perspective and realize it's a glitch on the radar. Keep leaning into what is deeper, what is beyond, and what is your soul asking of you. In that way, when you study the spiritual book of your own life, you find true yoga or union with the chosen deity of your spirit. And that's what yoga is. It's being able to yoke our awareness to the divine. So keep walking the path. It is not always easy, although it might be for some of us. But it's definitely worth it. Thank you so much for listening to Walking Dharma Podcast. Namaste.